this again. Well, that was interesting. I'll do this again. As I told, just want to invite you and thank you for coming to our Bible study tonight. Uh, we're doing something a little different we have been doing. I've uh, been studying the book of Isaiah while we were at church, and since we've been out, I did do some Isaiah, but then uh, I've stopped that at the moment. Uh, we talked about Easter and the upcoming events going into Easter, and then now since then I, I've looked at it and the Lord's laid on my heart while we're not able to meet in the church and get together and dis- and discuss. I've been doing some of my favorite Bible verses, and so tonight we're going to do that, and we're going to be in John chapter 14, but just a couple things I want to remind you of. Be sure you're praying for one another, lifting each other up. We have many in our church family who are unable to work, who's been laid off during this time, so I ask you to pray for them. Those that are stuck at home, lift each other up. We've had people who've been sick, and I know this is a scary time. If you get sick and have to go to the hospital, nobody can come see you, nobody can come visit, so be sure to pray for one another. Other, lifting each other up. Uh, y'all pray for those of us who are having to work and, and you know the still and are out there every day. Pray that God just watches over us, and let's pray that nobody in the church family gets sick. Let's pray that nobody gets this this illness as this pandemic goes on. Hopefully soon we'll be able to get back to church together, but we'll wait till it's completely safe before we do. Let's get it with a word of prayer and we'll get started today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray for those of our church family that are sick. I pray for those, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, that that are standing in need, those who are out of work. I pray you help them financially and watch over them and keep them safe, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray that when this is all said and done, they'll be able to get back to work. Father, I know that things will be different from here on out. Lord, as we see times changing, as things get set for the end of the world, Lord, I pray you you help us to understand your will is still being done. When people say, where is Jesus, or where is God during this pandemic? Lord, you are right here. Lord, the church might not be able to meet in the building, but Father, I pray that you strengthen us and you just give us a desire and a hunger for the fellowship of one another. Thank you again for all that you do. Lord, open the word to us, open our minds, and open our hearts as we study. In the Lord's name I pray, amen. As I said, we're in John chapter 14. It's one of my favorite Bible verses there is. Uh, Of course, I have a lot of favorite Bible verses, I guess you could say. But I I use this one a lot in many of my sermons. It's words of comfort that Jesus used. Let me set the the storyline of what's happening before Jesus gets to John chapter 14. Uh, This is taking place during the the Lord's Supper, that that last time that the disciples together, the disciples have gathered together, and John tells us basically that that he there there was an argument going on basically, and they were arguing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So John tells us about Jesus coming in, and he washes the feet of the disciples. And could you imagine how humbly that is? And when he comes to Peter, we know old brash Peter says, you know, you don't need to wash my feet. And Jesus says, you don't understand what's going on, but, you know, uh, one day you will. So and Peter says, well, wash all of me, but, you know, not just my feet, but my head and hands only. And, and then Jesus says in verse 10, he says, he that is washed need not but wash his feet, but is clean every whit. 
You're all clean, but not all. So here Jesus not only talks to them about this, but he's also telling them about the one who's fixing to betray them. So they, they've got this in their hearts. they got someone's going to betray them. Peter gets told by Jesus and, and through the rest of the chapter that, you know, as Jesus, uh, as Peter basically says, you know, I, I'll stand with you till the end. And Jesus tells them, Peter, before the cock crows, you know, uh, three times, you will deny me. So as they've told him this, you, you imagine the disciples are probably upset. So you get into chapter 14, and so he starts off and he tells them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So, you know, let your heart not be troubled. So they have reason to be troubled. It's because, you know, Jesus just told them, one of them's a traitor. He didn't say which one. They really didn't know at this time. So they probably all had it in their hearts. Could it be me? Could I do this thing? You know, Jesus never wants us to have a life without trouble because, you know, he, he didn't never say you wouldn't. Basically, he told us he would. He promised that we would and could have an untroubled heart, though, during it, you know, because he's right there with us. Tenney said this. He says, there was in some sense a command here. The form of the imperative me, Tarisio, implies that they should stop being troubled. Set your heart at ease would be a good translation for this. You know, hey, you believe in God, believe in me. Don't let your heart be troubled because of it. Spurgeon said this. He said, Jesus didn't say, I'm happy you men are troubled and filled with doubts. Your doubts are wonderful. He takes no delight in doubts and delinquent of his people when he saw that because of what he said to them sorrow filled their hearts he pleaded with them in great love and besought them to be comforted you think about it Jesus is not saying hey I'm glad you're, you've got problems but he was trying to comfort them Morris said this he said his disciples felt his departure was like torture and it was then that he consoled them with such a simple and glorious speech that all Christendom is the debtor for their agony. And you think what he tells them here is one thing we cling to for hope. And, and, and so he said, you know, let your heart not be troubled. What a wonderful statement it is. And he says, you, you believe in God, believe also in me. You know, so instead of giving into a troubled heart, Jesus told them where to, to put their trust, put their trust in God and him. And, and this was, this is a radical trust that in Jesus that is, you know, it's not just say, yeah, I trust you. It's a, you, you, you believe it with all your heart. You promise that doing so would bring comfort. He says, if you believe in me and you believe in the Father, you'll have comfort. McLaren said this. He says, what signalizes him and separates him from all of religious teachers is not the clearness or the tenderness with which he reiterated the truths about the Father's love or about morality and justice and truth and goodness, but the particularities of his call to the world is believe in me. You know, he, he, he's the one, only one that really says that. Meyer says this, he says, one who sees a man ask a man to give him precisely the same face and confidence that they would give God. And, and you, you think about that. Uh, they, they had to know in their hearts who Jesus was. You know, for us to, to not truly accept Christ, you can't have comfort in him. You've got to realize that he is God and that him and the Father are one. Oh, there's really no comfort there. 
Uh, you know, there, there's some debate basically on how the, the verb tense uh, of this verse should be regarded. It, it, it's possible that Jesus meant you must believe in God and you must also believe in me. Or it is possible that he meant you do believe in God and you also believe in me. So it, it, it's just the, the, the Arabic which he spoke, the language sometimes can be interpreted in different ways, but in sense it has one meaning, believe in God and Jesus. You know, Alfred said that he believed that the verb both time was imperative, which is you must believe. So we, 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 we understand that. Now he gets into verses 2 through 4, and it's the reason for the calming of the troubled heart. He tells them, believe in me, believe also, you know, you believe in the Father, believe in me. He tells us why. There's a future reunion in the Father's house. Because I I love this. And he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am... There ye may be also, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. So I, I love this set of verses, and, and I, I, I've used I use them in funerals. I use them at different times. It's a great way to, to prove about uh, the afterlife and the promise of, of, of resurrection that we have. But you know, because he says, you know, in my in, in my father's house are many mansions. Jesus spoke with complete confidence about heaven. He didn't say, I've heard or I kind of have been told. He says he knew. He said his father's house. He didn't wonder about the life beyond. Because you think, where did he come from before he was here? He was there in the father's house. So he knows. He, he understood it. And, and he told his disciples, basically, there was room, plenty of room in the father's house. It's not like uh, some denominations or not really denominations, some religions teach you only so many people are going. Jesus basically there's room for plenty. You know, Morrison said this. He said, Plato tells us of the last hours of Socrates in prison before he drank the poison. Like Christ, Socrates is going to die. Like Christ, his thoughts are on immortality. He discussed it with his friends who came to visit him. He speculates, he argues, he wonders. What a perfect stupendous contrast between that and the attitude of Christ. Christ knew. Socrates guessed. That's like many people say, well, I hope there's a heaven. I hope I can get there. You know, when you're a child of God, you know. So did Jesus. You know, we're talking about in my father's house, many mansions. A lot of the ancient Greeks, mansions is kind of better translated as dwelling places. The, the noun moan connected with the verb mino, stay, or remain, means a place to stay. So in light of God's nature, it's kind of a better translation to, to put it that way, to, to say it's mansions, uh, because you think if it's going to be from God, it's going to be great. The dwelling presence God has for us in heaven is will be as glorious as any mansion you can imagine here, or, or even more so. You know, it, but then listen, he says there will be many such places. Jesus could see what the disciples could never. Millions upon millions and billions of people from every tribe, nation, place on earth in his father's house. Yeah, I believe he might have even smiled when he said it because he knew what was to come. Uh, the, the word mansions 
came into the influence of the Vulgate mansions. They, some people tried to say temporary lodgings in some translations. It, it's amazing what people tried to say this in my father's house or many rooms. Does it matter? But it really means places to dwell. So he tells us there's a place there. But I like what he goes. He didn't just say, hey, in my father's house are these many mansions. He goes a little further into it. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Not you got to move in and stay with other people. You know, or you're, it's, it, this is the one big difference. When God brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt, he told them that they were going to inhabit houses they didn't have to build. They were going to have crops they didn't have to plant. Basically, they were going to be taking over from people's other people's toll. But here, Christ says, I love you so much, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So it's a special place. Love prepares a place for us. It's like, you know, when, when a young couple is expecting a baby, they go home and they prepare a nursery. They may try to make everything right. Why? Because their child's coming. Their baby's coming. So think about how much Christ loves you. What he did on the cross. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. As he told the disciples that, they, the, 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 the sense of calming that should have been there. Well, hey, if he's going to love me that much, take care of me. This is going to be good. You know, James Berry was the man who wrote Peter Pan, among other things he wrote. And one of his books was about his mother, Margaret Ogilvie. I think that's how you pronounce it. And his growing up in Scotland, his mother endured a lot, of, a, a lot of misery in her life, including the tragic death of one of her sons. According to Morrison, who, who was reading about this, he said, Barry wrote that his mother's favorite Bible chapter was John 14. She read it so much that when her Bible was open and set down, the pages naturally fell to this place. Barry said that when she was old and could no longer read these words, she would stoop down to her Bible and kiss the page the words were printed because she knew that, hey, my child who's gone, that's where he's at. That's the one hope we have. You've lost a loved one. You've got one who's facing death. Christ has prepared a place for him. Your mom, your dad's already gone home. Christ has prepared a place for him. You lost a child. Christ prepared a place for him. He says, I go. You know, Jesus was his own plan, his own initiative. He wasn't taken to the cross. He went there. You know, they, they, that was one thing. So he went to the cross. He paid the price. Why? So you could go to these mansions. Then he makes another promise to them. He says, he says, I got a prayer of place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. So Jesus promised to come again for his disciples. This is not the same since he would of his soon resurrection. You know, he, he knew that was gonna happen, but he didn't take them home with him then, did he? When he ascended, he left them. So he says, I'm coming back for everyone who loves me. Morgan said they were not to think of him as having ceased to be when they could not see him. He had only to go to another abiding place to prepare for their coming and moreover he would come back to receive them. 
You know, I read that and I was thinking, I said, so many people do that with Christ. Well, he he's only real He's only real when you're in need. He's only real at certain times. We ought to be understand that just because we don't see him, he's not dead. It's not like he's not here. You know, the Spirit of God's all around us. And I think sometimes we forget that. You know, but I love that he made a promise that where I am there you may be also. The entire focus of heaven is being reunited with Jesus. You know, we th- it's not the, the streets of gold or the gates of pearl or all these things, and those will be splendid and wonderful. And it will be wonderful to see the loved ones who's gone on before us, but it's all about Jesus. The you know, Mercy Me song, I could only imagine. You know, we really have no clue what we'll do when we see him. But I guess one of the things is, is how close is he to you? You know, how much is he your Lord and Savior? For some people, he's a Savior, but he doesn't seem to be their Lord. Many times in my life, I've treated him like that. He saved me, but he doesn't guide me because I'm too stubborn. Now, I take comfort in knowing that even as he prepares a place for me one day, I'll see him. In verses 5 through 6, Jesus kind of, he, he gets into, you know, he's told him, I've prepared you a place. But Thomas asked a question. And it's, it's, he was confused. And rightly so. And many people are. Listen to his question in verse 5. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we not know whither thou goest, or how can we know the way? He said, God, I don't understand. Jesus, I don't get it. Where are you going? How come? What, what's, what way are you talking about to get there? And you think about it. That he ought to be praying. We call him Doubting Thomas. But this right here, he asked a question that we all need to know the answer to. How to get there. What is it? You know, The world tries to tell you there's many ways to heaven. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So what it means, the Father's in heaven. No one gets to heaven but through Jesus Christ. And it's it's a wonderful truth here we find in this words of comfort you've got to believe in him you've got to understand that listen to what Spurgeon said he says thus we notice how they speak to him with a natural and easy familiarity he talks with them in full sympathy and in their weakness teaching them little by little as they are able to learn they ask just a question as a boy might ask of his father often they show their ignorance but they never do seem timid to his presence or ashamed to let him see how shallow and hard of understanding they are. When Thomas asked this question, he was being truthful. And sometimes I think we're too prideful to ask a question. Jesus, I don't understand. 
Why do bad things happen? I don't understand. I'm wondering about. I'm confused. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'll show you a way. He said, he is the way. He didn't promise to teach us truth. He said, he is the truth. He didn't offer us the secrets of life. He said, he is life. You know, when I, I'm wondering about, and I don't know where I'm going, or what I'm, how, what I'm really, my purpose is. Well, Jesus is the way. When I'm confused, I don't even know what to think about things. Jesus is the truth. When I feel dead inside, and I don't even know if I can go on anymore. Jesus is the life. You think in the light of the events that were fixing to happen, this kind of declaration was a paradox. Jesus' way would be the cross. He would be convicted by, by liars and cheats. His body would soon be lifeless in the tomb. Why? Because Jesus is the way and he took it that way. He was the way to God. And without that, there would be no way to, the Lord, to God, to heaven. The price he paid. When he says, I am, when, listen, to what he says, when he says what he said, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the way, because the only way to Jesus or for, to God is for the price to be paid. He is the truth, because without him, we can't get there. He is the life. Because when you understand that he is your savior and what he's done, he gives you eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get to the Father without him. It's a, it's a wonderful statement. And it's really plainly understood in a way when you think about it. You know, I, I've heard some really stupid things recently about people talking about how you can get to heaven uh her one been my favorite so far uh barnabas wrote a book about two thousand years ago said that jesus was just a good prophet paul died on the cross yeah it, that was really wonderful but do you realize that christianity jesus is is the only religion that tells you the way to get to heaven completely. I mean, think about it. If you're an atheist, one, you don't believe in God, and so there's no afterlife, and you have to worry about it. If you're a Baha'i, which is a new religious movement, but it comes from multiple religions. It has parts of Christianity, Islam, Buddhism. And what they say about it is that it presents that a person's soul continues. It's a spiritual journey after this life, and it comes to a final resting point with the, with their God. So basically, you you die, you just drift around, I guess. You know, uh, you got Buddhism who treat teach who that they're, you're reincarnated, and the meaning of a person returns in addition and repeats life form until achieving nirvana. But I mean. Wow, that'd be really rough to be reincarnated over and over until you get it right. You know, Hinduism, they teach 
uh, reincarnation and eventual nirvana. Uh, they have millions of gods and stuff you got to pray to. It, it, and they have a caste system. But, uh, basically, you're stuck in that caste your whole entire time. You know, Islam, uh, Muslims believe salvation has come from those who obey Allah, that good deeds outweigh the bad. Muslims hope by the repeating what Muhammad did and said will be enough to get them to heaven. But they're also to recite extra prayers, to fast, to go on pilgrims. They got all kinds of things that they must do. The only true way to get to heaven for them is to die in martyrdom. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's like all of these are based on works. Even Judaism teaches that right now that Judaism teaching will discuss heaven and hell as a present in the Old Testament. Believing in faith that God and obedience is teaching are essential to be in the everlife, ever, the, the essential to be with God in the afterlife, but they believe more of in a national salvation than they do a personal. You know, one of the new religions there is, is Wiccan, and, and they believe, and basically in their truth matter when you get down to it, that when you die, you're stuck here until you finish your, your business on earth. So, so many ways try to have ways to heaven but Christ says I am the way and it's so simple believe in him but we're so looked down upon because we do now in verses 7 through 8 Jesus goes into knowing the father and knowing the son so he kind of makes it trying to clarify a little bit for him he says if you had known me you have known my father also and from whence you know me know him and have seen him Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. So I'll, I'll always like poor Philip there. You know, Jesus says, if you see, the, see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. He was trying to get him to understand a little bit about the, tran- the Trinity. And it, it's hard to grasp, but it's still hard to grasp. I mean, there's no well true way to understand it. There's three Aspects of God, they all have different personality, but they're all the same. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all equal, but they have different characteristics. Uh, I've, I've taught it like this to kids before. If you take an egg, you've got the yolk, you got the white, and you got the shell. They're all three different characteristics of the egg, but without each one of them, the egg could not exist. So it's, you know, th- that's basically what the, the trinity is so he's trying to point that out but old philip says you know show us the father and it's going to be good enough and so you know philip has seen experienced much apologies but yeah he, he didn't quite grasp god the, the father and i think about that i said how many people have been to church their entire life they've sat in the pews they've heard the word they've sang the song they raised their hands they've got excited had emotional experience but yet do not grasp Jesus as a savior. You know the, the the religious leaders of that time wanted Jesus to do miracles and miracles. Show us a sign, give us a sign. He healed people, they got upset. He restored the blind man's sight, they got mad. He fed 5000, they probably got hungry cuz they're standing around not eating that. You know, it's amazing how God's all around us and people don't see it. Show us the Father. Why? Because 
with him's eternal life. I'm going to stop here. And I want to thank you for tuning in to our, our Bible study on Wednesday night. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to continue to listen to them. Uh, we'll have many different ones. And, and even when the, we get back to church, I'm not going to stop doing the podcast. We're going to continue those so that you can listen to them at any time. Let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to cover. Uh, we might continue to add some here and there, even when churches open back up. But until that time, let's pray that it happens soon. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our governor that, that, that they'll have the insight to do what's right. You know, a lot of people say we ought to go ahead and just open up. But no, I think we need to do what's right. Uh, we live in an unprecedented time. This has never happened before. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Things are going to change. But by the grace of God, we'll get through it. And if not, hey, when he comes back, when the trumpet sounds, if you're a child of his, I'll see you in the clouds. Until we get the chance to get together again, I love you. I pray God blesses you in a mighty and wonderful way. Have a blessed night. Talk to you later.